Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by FedEx. Small and medium businesses need happy customers. That's why FedEx offers picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and over 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Cars.com. Have you heard about the Your Garage feature on Cars.com? Here's how it works. You add your car to your garage to track its market value and cash in when the time is right to sell. Track both your car's historical and projected value. When it's time to sell, easily secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on Cars.com. Hi, this is Steve Levitt. And I'm Stephen Dubner. Thanks for downloading this Freakonomics Radio podcast. When we started this a couple years ago, I never imagined we would still be making podcasts two years later. And to your great chagrin or to your great joy, we are. Well, you do all the work, so it's no problem for me. Yeah, people think that you spend a lot of time in the radio studio, though. Let's keep it that way. It doesn't hurt me to have them thinking I'm, I'm busy in the radio studio. Well, division of labor-wise, you know, I do pick your brain a lot. Yeah, that's easy. I just don't want to have to go places, talk to strangers, things like that. Yeah, you don't like talking to strangers too much, do you? I look to, I, I, Whenever we're together, I'm so glad that you're doing the talking, so I can just mind my own business. Levitt, what is your favorite thing about doing this podcast? That you do all the work. <laughs> From WNYC and APM American Public Media, this is Freakonomics Radio, the podcast that explores the hidden side of everything. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner. So it's time for another round of FAQs, Frequently Asked Questions, where we answer queries from you, our listeners and readers. And uh, we've got Steve Levitt on the line. Hey, Dubner. You really love these, don't you? I mean, it's, it, it is incredibly fun to have people write with real, real questions, isn't it? Yeah, because the questions we get are so strange that you never could have made them up. What do you think it says about just the age we live in where anybody can find anybody and write to them? Because like in the old, old days, you know, I used to have crazy questions for authors whose books I read and you, you know, you couldn't get to them. But now everybody's got our email. Um, you like that idea? Yeah. You know, the nice thing about email is that it's a high cost for the uh, the sender and it's a low cost for the receiver. Like compared to, say, talking on the phone where if somebody calls you and you talk to them, it, it costs the, the initiator and the and the recipient the same amount of time and effort. But if someone wants to go and spend 20 minutes writing an email, we can respond in 30 seconds. That's not a bad trade-off. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. If someone wants to write an email um, to you or to us and have a good chance of having it be answered, not necessarily on this podcast, but just you know, via email or whatever, what's, you know, give, give people some guidelines. What are, what are the topics or the approaches that you are going to consider worth answering? The the hard part, I think, is just getting us to open the email, right? Because there's just so much stuff and you need to cull through. And, and so having a good tagline, mm. a clever tagline that um, 
that that piques our interest, I think, is good. Um, short definitely helps. Long is terrible. Yeah. Because because you have a theory about books. If you don't get to the end of a book, you will never recommend it to anyone. That is my If you theory. don't get to the end of an email, you can't possibly reply. That is true. Yeah. I do have this theory about books. Now, I have no idea if it's true because I've looked for data and it's really hard to find. But my view is that you know the way that books work best is when you read something and love it and tell someone else about it. And I find that I don't often tell people about books that I read 10 pages of even though I – I do that. What about you? Do, you? do you finish a lot of books and then tell people about it versus reading a bit and telling people? Well, I'm not a big finisher. That's for sure on books. I'm a good starter and a bad finisher. What share of books that you um, that come into your possession, either through gift or purchase or whatever, stealing, what share of books that come into your possession do you finish, would you say? Oh, I'd say ones that I actively go out and ones get myself that you, out. Ones that you even – ones that you start to read, let's say. Forget about ones oh. that you get them in the mail. Ones that, of books that you start to read, what share do you finish, would you say? I'd say 5 or 10 percent, but yeah. I don't really think most books are meant to be read. Most books have so little content that they say the same thing over and over and over. And so unless you're kind of slow, there's no point in reading chapters 7, 8, 9, 10 because they just say the same thing over and over. Now, that's not true of all books, but 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 certainly – most business books. Now, obviously, history books are uh, well, be novels, a novels, story. Are novels, different yeah. Model. Yeah. novels. You got to finish. So, I do. You know, probably I finish half my novels. Well, you love um, you love kind of teenage girl novels. That's kind of your. I know the Hunger genre. Games is next on my list. I haven't had a chance to get to that yet. Yeah. How, so what? What? What are like your favorite series ever in history? Twilight would be number one. You think? No, I know Harry Potter was Harry way Potter. better than Twilight. Uh-huh. I kind of had a love, you know, I had a love hate relationship with the the Twilight series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You ever? I was any, obsessed with them. You ever read any romance? No, I never have. Not really my thing. Yeah, I haven't either. Although I've been reading so much about people who read romance now because the ebook facilitates it because you don't have to carry the you know the the bodice ripper cover isn't on the cover anymore. And, right. and so it did make me curious. I almost downloaded one the other day just to read it. But I was somehow afraid that – like I have a shared Kindle account with my wife and kids. <laughs> and I, I didn't know what that would lead to. Uh, OK. So let's, um, let's look at some questions from readers, listeners. Here's one from Andrew Foster. Andrew writes, Dear Freakonomics, I have been listening to your podcast and I just started reading your book. You had a podcast about the lotto, the lottery, and savings accounts. That These were these prize-linked savings accounts that we did a piece about, about how you can encourage people to save money and still get a lottery payout by pooling their interest and giving them some. Uh, and he writes, With the 84-year-old woman who won the lottery in your episode, it got me wondering, what would you you guys do with those winnings? Dubner, you know how to spend money. How? What would you do with the lottery winnings? <laughs> Why do you say I know how to spend money? How do you live in New York, fancy uh, upstate New York trips and you know. fancy upstate New York trips, <laughs> like driving into the woods. <laughs> so I have a little bit of a problem spending money on myself. Um, Sometimes I do, but I, I have no problem spending money on my family. That's the one thing I would say. So if I had a lot of money, a lot more money, I mean, I feel like I have enough money. But if I had a lot more, I'd probably spend more on my family. On the other hand, I don't know. They kind of have what they need. For me, because I don't really want – you know me. I don't want anything. You have simple tastes. I don't, I don't like fancy cars. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can imagine collecting other than wanting to have 
a, a private jet, which I would want just because in, the thing I, I would love to buy if someone were selling it is time because time's the thing that I'm shortest on. Um, and a private jet I see as a way of buying a lot of time when I travel, not having to fight the airports and the schedules and just being able to go where I want to go. Also, you wouldn't have um, to see any other people because that's kind of your thing, right? Uh, yeah, that would be good too. Just, just, but I, you know what would be hard though is then there'd be uh, a pilot and me. It would just be like a bad cab ride then when you feel like you've got to talk to the, the, the pilot. Well, if there are a lot of people, you don't have to talk to anyone. There's only a couple of you. Feel yeah, like but he's, got he's busy. Him. Fine. He or he's she. He's busy. Yeah, Actually, you should, you, should. wait, you know who your pilot would be? On If you got a private plane, do you know who your pilot would be? It would be your brother. My brother, Joe Dubner, who's the exactly. world's greatest pilot, who's looking for exactly. a job flying planes. He's not a talker like you, though, is he? He is so not. He, you would love him. He does Oh, he's great. Okay. Well, he's got the job if I can just win the lottery then. There's one other thing that I would collect if I had tons and tons of money would probably be memberships at fancy golf clubs, mm-hmm. which would never, ever make sense to do if you didn't have much money because I wouldn't really ever use them. But if I were purely living a life of indulgence and luxury, it would involve flying my private jet to Augusta or, or – uh, you know, some fancy place to uh, play golf from time to time. Well, that leads very nicely into um, another question here from someone named Patricia who says, Dear Dubner and Levitt, I have a very simple question. What are your current obsessions? So I have to say, my I am obsessed with how obsessed you are with golf. That is my obsession. Yeah. I love – you are – you're nuts, Levitt. I mean, let's face it. I do love golf. I love golf more than any normal person could. But the funny thing about obsessions like golf is they're only fun when you have a nice job and a good family. I've learned that, that, that if all I had was golf, I'd, wa- I'd certainly want to kill myself because um, golf is a painful, cruel, uh, unpleasant uh, constant reminder of how terrible you are at something. And I think you need to have a, a good grounding to be obsessed with it. I'm curious. Do you think that you love golf so much in part because um, time is relatively scarce? You know, you're busy, you got a family, you work, et cetera, and golf is very time-consuming so that w- so that it's kind of uh, – the, the time scarcity means that when you get to do golf, it feels more precious as opposed to having nothing else to do but golf. It would be not so much fun. No, I think I love golf because uh, I really wanted to be good at it as a kid, and I completely and totally failed. And much of my adult life has been devoted to trying to undo the mistakes I made as a child. And so the reason I have come to love golf so much is that I have had just the tiniest little bit of success, but not very much, in undoing my failings as a child – and so it the it just is the worst kind of addictive on and off feedback, which drags you deeper and deeper into it. Uh, and it also has this incredible attraction to me that while it's physical, at the same time it's incredibly intellectual. That trying to understand, you know, whether it's the physics of the swing or just uh, the the mapping between what happens in your head and what actually is going on when you look at it on video i just i find it incredibly um enticing and so measurable as well i love the measurement so it's really it's almost fiendishly designed to tap into every one of my quirks and make me obsessed with it mm-hmm. 
Coming up, how do you make an economist happy? That's easy. Steal his car. Instead of the dread that most people have about, oh, no, my car's not going to be here, I think, oh, my, this would be awesome. And how to eat like a freak. My tastes go to things like... KFC. KFC, beef jerky. Chipotle. uh, Grape crush. Dill pickles. um, Chicken wings. I love chicken wings. You do love your chicken wings. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Amica Insurance. Amica Insurance is all about empathy. They know your auto, home, and life insurance are more than just policies. Home insurance is about protecting the life you've built. Auto insurance is there to protect you on the road ahead. That's why Amica takes a consultative approach to help protect what matters most to you. They are a customer-owned insurance company that puts your needs first, and their representatives are available 24-7 for claim-related matters. As Amica says, empathy is our best policy. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. We don't always realize just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That hurtful comment your friend made, that frustrating thing your mom does, or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Therapy is a safe space to share whatever is weighing you down so you can get some relief and find a solution. BetterHelp offers professional, affordable online therapy on a flexible schedule. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Freakonomics today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Freakonomics. From WNYC and APM American Public Media, this is Freakonomics Radio. Here's your host, Stephen Dubner. Welcome back to Frequently Asked Questions, where Steve Levitt and I answer queries from you, our listeners and readers. All right, let's um, – here's a question from a Jeffrey Summersill. Jeffrey Summersill writes to say, being in the aerial application business, parenthesis crop dusting, it amazes me how much uh, and all the different kinds of insurance we carry. Of course, this holds true to life, homeowners, auto, health, income, warranties, et cetera. Just because you have insurance does not always mean you're covered. So my question is – what would the world be like without insurance? Would we be better off or worse? Would people take more care or own junk? What effect does having insurance have on society? So, Levitt, what do you think? I mean, how many different kinds of insurance do you think you own? Uh, I have the absolute minimum 
insurance. Mm -hmm. I think insurance is greatly – the value of insurance is greatly exaggerated in almost all cases. Um, Many people, I think, don't understand the purpose of insurance. The purpose of insurance to an economist is to shift money to what we call states of the world in which money has a lot of value relative to other states of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me try to say that. That was like no, that was, Yeah, it was good though. Okay, so before your house burns down, if you have a dollar, it's not worth as much to you as after your house burns down, right? So if you could magically find a way to um, trade a dollar before your house burns down for a dollar after your house burns down, you'd want to put more money in the after the house burns down category, this is a world of no insurance, so that you could buy all the stuff that got burned down in your house. Okay, And that is the purpose of insurance. It's a way of moving around money so that you have it when you need it, not when you don't need it. So why do you think so many people carry – well, I mean, there are a lot of different kinds of insurance and some of it we have to carry. So right now, you know, there's a debate about the health care mandate and people being forced, quote, forced to own health care insurance, which is a big issue. On the other hand, if you want to drive a car, you have to have insurance, Right. Right. So that's to protect other people. So the idea is you have insurance so that when right. you smash your car into other people, someone will be compensated for it. Healthcare, uh, I mean, there's good reasons to have healthcare insurance for catastrophic things. Uh, healthcare can be incredibly expensive and, uh, and it makes sense to be able to, in a pinch, have someone pay for uh, incredibly expensive things that you can't really afford. But the thing that people, I think, forget about insurance is that it's not free to administer, right? There's some big insurance company somewhere uh, with a big fancy headquarters, which is paying for all of the workers and all of the, uh, you know, the advertising by charging more for the insurance than it costs them to actually pay out the claims. And so unless you got a good reason to need the kind of coverage, the, the protection against something catastrophic, you just have to understand that people aren't doing this out of the the kindness of their heart providing insurance. They're doing it with a profit motive, and so it's and the insurance the insurance business model. I think I think a lot of people don't really get it, and maybe I don't get it either. But from from what I see, from what I know, the insurance business model is essentially we sell you obviously what this thing that we call insurance, where you give us money now. Uh, on the chances that we might have to give you a bunch of money later if if situation X happens and we've calculated the probability of situation X and we know we're going to charge enough. But as they're taking in the money now, what the insurance business is really about is investing, right? I mean that's what insurance companies do is they take in your money and then invest it and make more money and that's essentially where their profits come from, yes? Yeah, exactly. So do you think that if people understood that that's the way the insurance business essentially works, that they'd be a little bit less eager to give money to insurance companies? No, I don't think so. I think it's more fun. I, I think it's really – I know you're you're obsessed with financial literacy and I think this is a case where, um, where, where there's a general idea that's been passed on in our society that insurance is a good thing, that you should be insured, that you should you should be protected against losses. And people don't actually understand why they should get insurance. They just have been told they should and they, they kind of understand that it feels good when you lose something to, to get paid back. Well, do you think it's connected to the, the theme we've talked about a lot of times, which is that we tend to um, really exaggerate um, not only the likelihood but kind of the, the pain caused by – anomalous events that turn out to be bad, which are pretty rare and often not as damaging as we think, that people just kind of overscare themselves into buying a lot of insurance? 
Yeah, I think people imagine it would be really, really awful if their car got stolen. Right? And and it would be bad, right? And and uh, and it would be the equivalent of let's say you got a twenty thousand car dollar car. Well, you're twenty thousand dollars poor. So the question is, does it really change my life if I have my car stolen? If it really changes your life, then I think you should have insurance. But but you, you hit on something important, which is that people are very bad judges of what their uh, how they'll feel in the future. So. I tell you, one of the best investments I made in the insurance domain was in buying Lojack. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, as uh, you know, and our readers may know, Lojack is a little hidden transmitter you put inside of, uh, in the hood of your car, or they put in the hood of your car, and then if your car gets stolen, then uh, you're able to track it. Okay. Now, most people get Lojack because it, it you know, it's uh, both you get in a deduction off your insurance, and also it's a way of getting your car back when it's stolen. And what I hadn't anticipated when I got Lojack, but what I eventually came to understand is that the real reason to get Lojack is it makes you want your car to get stolen. <laughs> so every time I say parked on a different level of the parking lot and got confused and couldn't find my car, instead of the dread that most people have about, oh, no, my car's not going to be here, I think, oh, my, this would be awesome. God, I hope my car gets stolen. You know, we'll, we'll release the, the hounds and see what happens as we go, you know, on, on, the, on the chase to get the car back. So that, to me, was the best kind of insurance I ever had because it transformed an experience, which is in general a very negative one, into one which was actually a positive. And that's something that, that it's hard for insurance to do generally. Levitt, here's a, a note from a reader named Mary Wiseman who says, My daughter bought your book because of the, quote, funny title, uh, end quote, and has read sections to us, her father and me, in the car and at home. She's 16. Goodness, what a nerd. So I was thinking that I want to have your book as my book club choice. Um, what I would like to know is what you think the perfect meal is to match up with your book at our book club discussion. Ooh. Apples, oranges, I guess is the fruit salad you start with and apple teenies. But holy cow. Levitt, you have any thoughts on a Freakonomics-themed um, uh, meal? You know, I'm embarrassed to say that after she sent this email, I spent a lot of time trying to think of the answer. <laughs> I, so I was trying to think different angles. But you know, I mean, the apple, the apple orange is an obvious, a good one. I, I, I can't miss for uh, at least visually. But um, so I think, well, there's, we don't really talk about food. So kangaroo no. burgers, kangaroo burgers would kangaroo be good burgers, if you're yep. doing Super Freak because we talk about the, the virtues of those for global we do, warming. Because we should just explain because, you know, uh, red meat is very greenhouse gas intensive in part because um, animals that chew their own cud, ruminants, um, exhale a lot of methane, which is a powerful greenhouse gas and kangaroos do not. So kangaroo burgers versus hamburgers, very good for the environment on on the scale that it can be. So yeah. Okay, kangaroo burgers, apples, oranges. Okay, so after that, I think, well, maybe maybe the right tribute would be to eat some of our favorite foods. And she could say, well, yeah, we talked to the authors and that's what we said. So, you know, my tastes go to things like KFC, KFC beef jerky, Chipotle, uh, grape crush. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so I think you couldn't, you couldn't really go wrong with fast food. Chicken what a, wings. I love chicken you wings. You do love your chicken wings. Hey, so, so, so how about this? How about she has – a potluck supper where everybody brings a food and then each one has a pay-as-you-wish for each food. And then you could really determine, you know, I guess the appetite and value of each person's contribution. 
you know, the the potluck is so anti freakonomics. So you think Don't they'd you have think? to? What do you mean then? They'd have to be assigned what they're bringing? No, no, people shouldn't bring stuff. That's so. It's so oh, why oh. it's anti freakonomics in the sense that number one, it's got this huge free rider problem that you're making stuff for everybody else. The other thing is it's it's so inefficient for individuals to make their own food. Mm. Right. So the only sensible thing to do is to is to call someone who's good at making food like a restaurant and have the restaurant do it. I mean, we have potlucks at, school, at my kid's school. The only thing worth eating is KFC. You know, <laughs> as soon as somebody brings KFC because they're too lazy to cook something, it disappears. I mean, it's so inefficient to um, have people make food at home. I mean, obviously, there's a social component, whatever, but, but it's totally – Potluck, totally anti-freaking out. Can't do that. Did people frown on the KFC at your kid's school potluck? Yeah, they frowned on it as they wiped the grease stains off of their uh, <laughs> sides of their mouth and um, pretended they didn't eat it. Uh-huh. Actually, to be honest, we slipped it in there real fast so no one could see yeah, that's, that's what we that's, brought. I, I had a feeling it might have been. <laughs> Freakonomics Radio is produced by WNYC, APM, American Public Media, and Dubner Productions. Our staff includes Susie Lechtenberg, Catherine Wells, David Herman, Beret Lamb, and Chris Bannon. Colin Campbell is our executive producer. If you want more Freakonomics Radio, subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes and go to Freakonomics.com, where you'll find lots of radio, a blog, the books, and more. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Freakonomics Radio is sponsored by Capital One Bank. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC.